Chapter Fifteen of *The Girl at Central* by Geraldine Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. Cokesbury's story made a great sensation. Even if it didn't bring us any nearer to finding the murderer, it explained the mystery of Sylvia's movements up to the time she appeared in the wayside arbor, and it cleared Jack Reddy. Babbitts told me that the Whitneys were doing some legal stunts. I won't tell what they were for. I'd never get them straight. To have him liberated, and that they would soon issue a statement to the press. When it came out, everybody saw why he had said such contradictory things about those seven hours on the road. Babbitts and I had guessed right. When we thought he was holding something back, and when I heard why, I was grateful to him. Yes, grateful, that's the word. And I'll tell you why I use it. He was my hero, and he stayed a hero, didn't fall down, and didn't disappoint me. What made me know there were people in the world who could stick, who could stick to their standard no matter what happened. Don't you think that's a thing to be grateful for? The reason he didn't tell was to protect the memory of that poor dead girl who couldn't rise up and protect herself. He knew what wicked lies would be told and believed and he was going to shield her in death as he would have in life. That night, after he had searched the roads, he suddenly thought that in some wild freak she had gone to the bungalow in her own car and phoned him from there. As soon as the idea entered his head he went out to the lake one glance showed him somebody had been there before him the room was warm the fire still smoldering on the hearth he lit the light and saw the two teacups and the cigar butt on the saucer he examined the doors and windows and found that they were locked and there were no sign of anyone having broke in the only person beside himself who had a key to the bungalow was Sylvia. He knew she had been there with another man, and one of those fierce rages came on him. For a spell he was outside himself. He thought of things that never happened, the way people do in theory. Imagined Sylvia sending him the phone message, with the other man standing by and laughing, he tore her letters out of the desk and threw them in the fire and smashed the tea things against the side of the house he was half crazy thinking himself fooled and made a mockery by the woman he loved when his rage quieted down he sat brooding over the fire for a long time it was moonlight when he left bright enough for him to fill the tank he had never thought about any inquiries for the missing drum till at the inquest the question of the gasoline was sprung on him then he lied feeling certain that no one would ever go out to the lake it was his intention to go there himself hide the drum and clear out the cottage but he put it off hating to go near the place if pat donahue hadn't gone there to fish through the ice a thing no one would have dreamed of the secret of the bungalow would never have been discovered one of the features of the case that he couldn't understand 
and that he spent the days in jail speculating about was how she had reached the lake the mud showed the tracks of only one auto his own he could find no solution to this mystery and he could speak to no one about it whatever happened to him he had made up his mind he would never give her up to the evil-minded and evil-tongued who would blacken and tear her to pieces all that was left of her he was liberated and believe me longwood rejoiced it was as if a king who had been banished had come back to his throne i don't think he was home two days when he telephoned in asking me if he could come to see me and thank me for what i'd done wasn't that like him most men would have been so glad to get out of jail that they'd forgotten the hello girl who'd helped to free them but not jack reddy he came in the late afternoon at the time i got off i'll never forget it katie riley was at the switchboard and i was standing at the window watching when i saw the two lights of the gray racer come down the street i ran and opened the door i wasn't bashful a bit and when i saw him i gave a little cry for he looked so changed pale and haggard and older a good many years older but his smile was the same and so was the kind honest look of his face before he said a word he just held out his hand and mine went into it and i felt the clasp of his fingers warm and strong and strange it is but true i wasn't any more like the girl who used to tremble at the mere sight of him but was calm and quiet looking deep and steady into his eyes as if we'd gotten to be friends the way a man might be friends with a boy miss morganthew he said i've heard what you've done and i want to thank you you needn't have taken all the trouble to come in from firehill mr reddy i answered you could have said it over the wire could i have done this over the wire he said giving my hand a shake and a squeeze you know i couldn't and that's what i wanted to do take the grip of the hand that helped me out of prison i said some fool words about it being nothing and he went on smiling down at me yet with something grave in his face i want to do more ask a favor of you i hope it won't be hard for you to grant for i've set my heart on it can i be your friend oh mr reddy i stammered out you make me proud and suddenly tears came into my eyes i don't know why useless it was seeing him so changed and hearing him so humble to a common guy like me oh come on now he said don't do anything like that you'll make me think you don't like the idea i sniffed <laughs> wanted to kick katie riley who was gaping around in her chair and i guess getting mad that way dried up my tears it's your friend i'll be till the end of my life mr reddy i answered and the only thing i'm sorry for is that i didn't get the right man the way i thought i'd done never mind about that he said his face hardening up we'll get him yet don't let's think of that now it's the end of your day isn't it if you're going home will you let me take you there in my car 
there was a time when if i'd thought i'd ever arrived beside jack reddy in that racer i'd have chills and a fever for a week in advance but now i sat calm and still beside him as he rode me through longwood to mrs galloway's door as we swung up by the street he talked very kind to me complimenting me something awful and saying that if he ever could do anything for me to let him know and that he'd do it if it was in the power of a man you see miss morganthew he said as we drew up in front of the elite a man in my position feels pretty grateful to the person who's lifted off him the shadow of a disgrace and death up in my room i sat quiet for a long time thinking the thing that fazed me was why i changed so come round to feel that while he was still a grand strong man i'd always look up to and do anything for i'd quit having blind staggers and heart attacks when he came along something had sidetracked me i didn't know what all i did know was that two months ago if he'd asked me to be his friend i'd have not known there was such a thing as food in the world and that even at half-past seven being too lazy to go to gilt edge i was so hungry i had to go down to mrs galloway and beg the loan of three anitas and a hard-boiled egg it was one evening not long after that anne hennessey came to see me babbitts was coming that night and mrs galloway had given up the parlor again and was in bed with a novel and a kerosene lamp anne was quite excited the reason being that mrs fowler had given her a present she took it carefully out of the blue velvet case and held it up in the glow of the drop-light it was a diamond cross and the minute i set eyes on it i knew where i'd seen it before sylvia's i said low and sort of awed anne nodded yes the one she had on that night mrs fowler said she wanted to give me something that had been hers i wouldn't have taken anything so handsome but i think the poor lady couldn't bear the sight of it reminding her of the sorrow as it did she moved it about and the stones sparkled like bits of fire in the lamplight i stretched out my hand and took it for diamonds tempt me like meat the hungry that's the jew in me i suppose you won't call the king your cousin when you wear this i said and i held it against my chest looking down at the brightness of it that's just where sylvia had it on said anne almost in a whisper with the front of her dress crossed one of the police officers told me my mother was a catholic and it's catholic i was raised for though my father was a jew he loved my mother and let her have her way with me wouldn't you think i said that when the murderer saw the cross on her he would have stayed his hand wouldn't you said anne but to men as evil as that the cross means nothing and then out in the dark that way he probably never saw it babbitt's knock sounded i handed it back to her and let him in feeling bashful before anne who didn't know how often mrs galloway was retiring at eight-thirty 
she left soon after saying mrs fowler liked her to be round in the evening which was news to me as she told me the fowlers always sat in the sitting-room together the doctor reading aloud till mrs fowler got sleepy after she'd gone babbitts and i drew up to the stove cozy and cheerful with our feet on the edge of it we'd come to know each other so well now that we'd other topics beside the case but that night we worked round to it me picking at the box of candy babbitts had brought and rocking lazily as contented as a child babbitts was still keen for that reward he said to me you had your fingers on it once and it is my wish that you'll get your whole hand on it next time what a noble character said i calculating for little molly to get it all where do you come in oh don't bother about me says he you've a bad habit of thinking too much where other people come in you've got to quit it it isn't good business now what i want to arrange is for you and me to make an excursion out to the wayside arbor some afternoon the wayside arbor what will we do there take a look over the ground you see with the process of elimination that's been going on things have narrowed down to the vicinity of the crime it's my opinion that the murder was not only committed but was planned round there the police are losing heart and not doing much as far as i can find out fowler's detectives mills and his crowd are getting their pay envelopes regular but not getting anything else now just for devilment let us combine our two giant intellects and see what we can see have they gone over every inch of it they have with a fine-tooth comb but that doesn't prevent us going over it and taking our fine-tooth combs along isn't hines under surveillance <laughs> good lord <laughs> he said laughing everybody is under surveillance there's not one of the suspects but he's expected to stay put and is doing it but who's getting anywhere there's no reason why we shouldn't go out that way call in mrs cresset and take a look at the wayside arbor ourselves i'm game i said though i can't see what good it's going to do it'll give us a half a day together said he i don't know how you feel about it but that looks worthwhile to me we made a date for the following monday my holiday just eight weeks from the murder the next morning i had a surprise a kind that hasn't often come my way it was a letter directed in typewriting with a half sheet of paper inside it enclosing a fifty-dollar bill on the paper also typed was written for miss morganthu a small return for her decent good work in the heskis murder case that was all no name no date no handwriting i don't know what made me think right off of mr whitney unless it was because there was no one else who knew of what i'd done and could have afforded to send that much the only other person it could have been was jack reddy or somehow or other after he'd asked me to be his friend i felt certain he wouldn't send me money 
no matter what I'd done for him. Friends don't pay each other. I guess there wasn't a more elated person in Longwood that morning than yours truly. I'd had that much before, saved it, but I'd never had it fall out of the sky that way in one beautiful, crisp new bill. The Jew and the Irish in me had some tussle. I wanted to salt it down in the bank and the other to blow it in. But that time the Irish had a walk over, probably because I was limp and weary with all the excitement of the last two months and felt the need of doing something foolish to tone me up. When I thought of the clothes I could buy with it, the Jew just laid down without a murmur, and you'd have supposed I was all County Galloway if you'd seen me writing a list of things on the back of the envelope. If it'd make you feel better of me, I'll confess that I wanted to look nice on that trip with Babbitts, the first real jaunt we'd ever taken, for I didn't count those times in New York when we were sleuthing after Cokesbury. Just once in my life I was going to have a real blowout, and I wanted the chap who was taking me to feel like he had some lady with him. With the three of us in the office, I fixed things so I got Saturday afternoon, and I hiked over to town with that bill burning in my purse like a live coal. And my, it was great spending it. It was cool on the outside, looking haughtily at the goods and casting them aside contemptuous on chairs, but inside I was drunk with the feeling of riches. I bought a one-piece dress that fit me like every measure was mine, and a long black plush coat, rich fine plush like satin, that was draped something elegant, and fastened in front with a novelty ornament. For a hat, I selected a small dark felt, nothing too flashy, no trimming, just a rosette on one side. And with the last three dollars, a purse, black striped silk, oval-shaped with a ribbon to hang it on your wrist. It was six when I got home, carrying the boxes myself, all but the coat that I had to wear, pretty nearly dead with the weight of them, but not regretting. Neither the Jew nor the Irish, one nickel of it. Midday, Monday, when I came down to the parlor where Babbitts was waiting, he put his hand over his eyes like the Indians in front of the cigar stores and pretended to stagger. What good deeds have I ever done, said he, that I am allowed to walk the world with such a queen? Then I felt certain that to break loose now and again is a healthy change. End of chapter 15